Right, and we are live. So welcome to the All Things Extraterrestrial podcast, guys. We are going to be discussing aliens and a theoretical look at their existence. And man, do we have some seriously cool stuff to be talking about today. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Okay, so first things first, there is this question everyone ponders on about, and that is, do aliens exist? Are they here already? What will they be like? Does God exist? And what happens after death? No one truly knows is what most people say. But at the same time, who are we to say that no one truly knows? How do you know no one truly knows? The world operates on systems of levels of prestige and power in which some people have control over other people in order to generate order in this world. So who is in control of the most powerful people in the world? Do we really know who the most powerful people are that actually decide how things turn out, or the most powerful people in the world not reveal that they are the most powerful people in the world? If alien life made contact, wouldn't some people decide to keep that information from other people? That concept alone kind of explains the silence the U.S. government has on the issue. And generally speaking, this world is weird in itself. Stop and think. You know, we should all stop and think for a second how weird the human form actually is. It's, I think it's important to stop and think, uh, like, for example, how weird jellyfish are. I mean, so there is nothing else in this entire universe that isn't as weird or weirder. There are basically an endless amount of galaxies, moons, planets, and stars. We live in the Milky Way galaxy. You know, that's one in how many galaxies. What about all of the places in space we cannot see and haven't been able to reach in any way yet with our current technology? We are told to believe that there is nothing among the stars and that we are alone in the entire universe. And that just doesn't sound right. So the main point here is how do we know for sure if aliens exist? And how do we know if God exists? And who are we to say what happens after death if we haven't gotten there yet? So, our government has recently publicly acknowledged the existence of aliens. Because simply, they have have said that there are these objects in the skies that move in maneuvers that are beyond our capabilities. The U.S. government has begun to take this seriously because these things in our airspace could be a national security threat. The government has released multiple, and I mean multiple, declassified videos of UAPs or unidentified aerial phenomenon in various places such as above the USS Omaha and there is video of one of these things going into the water without detonation or destruction. There are multiple naval pilots coming out and talking about their experiences with these UAPs such as pilot commander David Fravor. He explains that they apparently see these things on a daily basis. There is audio of him and his squad of pilots reacting to what they saw. There was a UAP docking near a cross-shaped bubbling thing in the ocean, and when Commander David Fravor flew down to check it out, 
It flew past him at an impossible speed and appeared somewhere else 60 miles away on radar. And what's even weirder is it moved to Commander David Fravor's next location where he was going to go anyway. There have also been several politicians and even a recent congressional hearing with Congress discussing and acknowledging that they don't know what these objects are in our airspace. Both sides of the political coin have come out and recently said something too. Obama has recently said on a talk show that there are objects in the sky and their trajectory, the way they move, we cannot explain it. Trump says a lot of things, but he also was asked about aliens and replied with, and I quote, there are millions and millions of people that want to go and they want to see it. I won't talk to you about what I know about it, but it's very interesting. And he says, Roswell is a very interesting place with a lot of people that would like to know what's going on. We also have almost every news station covering this all across the news. There is a story about how we don't know what these things are in our airspace. They are not being shy about this either now. There are reports on government websites about this and everything. And my question is, like, why is this happening now? Why are all these things, like, coming, like, happening right now? So the main point with that is, like, what is in our atmosphere? I mean, some of the government tries to say that it's foreign technology, and that's just impossible because that we don't have something that can move and penetrate the water in ways that uh, these things are, are doing. So it just doesn't make any sense that it would be China or Russia or something like that um, at all, actually. If you really look at everything, it's like this is not uh, foreign technology. And I think uh, there are some people in the congressional hearing that were uh, trying to say that it was. And it's like the more you try to just say that it's that, the, the it keeps us from getting to the bottom of what it actually is. It's obviously not that. So the, we need to remove uh, that stigma there. Um, so this is where the theory um, that I'm, I'm going with here starts to get wild. So most people are probably familiar with the supposable UFO crash called Roswell also known as part of what is tokened the Zeta Reticuli Incident, or Zeta Reticuli, however you want to say it. Roswell is an incident where there was a crash in New Mexico, the New Mexico desert, where the government supposedly recovered debris debris and alien bodies. The Roswell incident begins on June 24th, 1947 when pilot Kenneth Arnold was flying over the Cascade Mountains of Washington State in the U.S. He was assisting a search for a crashed military plane. He apparently saw nine crescent-shaped objects flying at a height of around 10,000 feet and an estimated speed of approximately 1,900 kilometers per hour, which is seemingly impossible at the time. Now, this is where it gets you know, very uh, outlandish. There was a couple named Betty and Barney Hill from New Hampshire. 
The couple claimed to have been abducted in 1961 and taken aboard an alien spacecraft. Betty Hill famously drew a star map in 1964 under psychoanalysis. This map showed the sky as seen from a planet orbiting a star system called Zeta Reticuli, from which the alien abductors had come from. This two, these two stars are known as Zeta-1 and Zeta-2 Reticuli, or together as simply Zeta Reticuli. They are each fifth magnitude stars, and they are barely visible to the eye. They are located in the southern constellation Reticulum. So we can see them from the southern hemisphere. So the story goes like this. Barney grabs his binoculars from the car seat and steps out of the car. He walks into a field and gets a better look and sees the object. Apparently the craft has windows, so he sees humanoid-like creatures through these windows. Barney goes back to the car and tries to drive away, but for some reason he turns down a side road where five of the humanoid aliens are standing on the road and unable to control themselves or resist, Betty and Barney are easily taken back to the ship by the aliens. While inside, they are physically examined, and according to Betty, one of the humanoids communicated to her. After the examination, she asks them where they're from. The aliens then show her a three-dimensional map with various sized dots and lines on it. Betty and Barney are then returned to their car. They are told they will forget about the abduction portion of the incident. The ship rises and then flies away. The hills are troubled by unexplained dreams and anxiety about two hours of their trip that they cannot account for. Two years after the incident, the couple are still upset by the missing two hours. So a woman named Mallory Fish, an Ohio school teacher and an astronomer, astronomer became involved. She wondered if the objects shown in the, on the map that Betty Hill saw inside the vehicle might represent some actual pattern of celestial objects. On August 4, 1969, Betty Hill discussed the star map with the astronomer. Betty explained that she drew the map in 1964 under post-hypnotic suggestion. It was to be drawn only if she could remember it accurately, and she was not to pay attention to what she was drawing. You could think of this as uh, like automatic drawing, essentially. Um, this is a way uh, of getting at forgotten material and can result in unusual accuracy or accuracy. Betty describes the map as three-dimensional, like looking through a window. The stars were tinted and glowed. The map was flat and thin, and there was no noticeable lines. Next, there's the story. Um, we're moving on to the next part of uh, the theory that ties into the rest of it. So next there's a story of um, Bob Lazar, which also ties heavily into the previous uh, two incidents, Roswell and uh, Betty and Barney Hill. So in uh, his 20s, Robert Scott Lazar, an American physicist, came out to the news and made an extreme claim about having the opportunity to work on technology that far exceeds our capabilities. Later on in life, recently, 
Bob has come out to the media again and to famous people like Joe Rogan and talked about his history, his story. He claims that he worked in Area S4 in the Nevada desert, which is a subsection of Area 51. Before that, he claimed that he worked at Los Alamos National Lab in New Mexico. He was involved in nuclear weapon development, physics, and so on. In 1982, he put a jet engine in his Honda that he drove to work every day. So he was known for the guy with the weird car, and because of that, Los Alamos put him on the front page of the paper. A few years later, he moved out to Las Vegas. Bob is then offered a job working in advanced propulsion at S4. They have various test sites, and it is not uncommon to know about these places in the West. There is a, the nuclear test site, there's Area 51, there's the Tonopah test range north of that. There's areas where they test chemical weapons, particle accelerators, and things like that. So Bob explains that the first day on the job was a mountain of paperwork. And to get to where he was flying to, to, to where he was working, he had to call, uh, take the Janet flights. And basically, the Janet flights are just a uh, flight that you take um, that is a solo like passenger plane that they and they fly you somewhere kind of like very secret like. That's why it's called the Janet flights. The first instance, uh, Bob noticed uh, that he was the first time he noticed that he was working on technology that isn't from this world is when he entered a facility at S4. The base is on the side of a mountain. And normally they would pull in with a bus and go around a normal double door. But this time there were hangar doors open and inside was the flying saucer, the thing that he worked on. He saw it sitting there and he walked by it and it had an American flag stuck on the side. It was then he said to himself, this explains all of the flying saucer stories and that this is just an advanced fighter. And he laughed about it. He slid his hand um, alongside the thing and got in trouble for touching it. That was the first weird thing he encountered. Then, he, when he really realized that like this is technology that is not uh, from this world, is when he was introduced to his lab partner, and it was in the demonstration of the reactor he was working on that he realized that this is technology that does not exist. I mean, this that's crazy to think about. So this was a small reactor with a hemisphere about the size of a basketball on a metal plate. And when it was running, it produced a gravitational field and a gravitational field of its own. This is something we cannot do. We cannot produce any gravity. We only get gravity from large quantities of mass. But there is no technology and no machine that turns on and creates gravity. But this device that he worked on was producing that. When Bob puts his hands to the reactor, it pushed his hands away, like two light poles of a magnet, and there's nothing that does that. We can create, uh, people know, and this is common knowledge, that we create, we can create an electromagnet, and it creates an a magnetic field. We can't create a gravitational field. So his task was to back-engineer the alien craft and see if they could duplicate the technology with available materials. He explains that the reactor worked on what you could consider an electrical load. When the hemisphere is removed, it shuts off, and when it turns on, when it is on. 
but it does not operate electrically. What's weird is there is no wiring that connects the subcomponents together. They just have to be in the immediate vicinity. Bob also claims that there were nine craft altogether and that he got hands-on with only one of them. At one time and one time only, the hangar doors were open and he could see all the way into the back uh, of the hangar. And he claims he saw that the crafts in there that they had were all different shape. They were all different. Um, and that there were nine of them. He claims that the amount of power that they are dealing with is astronomical. Um, He says uh, to produce the effects this equipment did, it would take huge, or it takes huge amounts of power. And Bob says a good example of the status that uh, they were at when he worked there was if you took a small nuclear reactor and put it back into Victorian times with the scientist at the time and just dropped it in a room. And they see it's producing power, it works, so they start taking it apart. And as soon as they get some of the shielding off, the people are just going to drop dead from the radiation side. Now, the people had no idea that radiation even existed back then, but anyone who comes in, comes in and you know checks on them will also drop dead. And there is no reason that that exact same scenario couldn't happen with what they were dealing with. He claims we have no idea how the physics operate within this thing. He also claims um, that he was given information, uh, paperwork specifically, that indicated that the craft he worked on, a specific craft, uh, was from the Zeta Reticuli star system. You know, see how it's starting to tie in together? It wasn't just from the Zeta Reticuli star system. It was from what they called ZR3, which is a third planet in that star system. He also claims that they were able to, at one time and one time only, go inside the alien craft. He explains the inside of the craft as a very ominous feeling. He claims everything is one color, which he claims was a dark pewter color. And there was no right angles anywhere. It was almost uh, nothing other than a small foldable hatchway that looked recognizable and everything was unworldly. He claims that the craft was designed for something smaller, much smaller than a human being. And that while working at S4, he saw through a window a soldier communicating to something small, but he won't say exactly what. And they called the, he does say, however, they called the aliens at S4 the kids. And I quote, he claims that it was designed for something half his height, so probably around three feet tall. He claims there is nothing else in there, and that is all there is. And it's just seats, the reactor, and some of the subcomponents. No bathroom or anything. There's also three levels of the craft. Bob was also um, able to witness the craft lift off and claims uh, they were uh, in communication with someone um, inside the craft. So there's like, I guess, two soldiers or something communicating uh, or two scientists communicating with each other from one outside the craft and one inside the craft. Um, so the, uh, this is not supposed to be possible. Um, 
you know, so the person inside the craft was obviously uh, able to fly it because they were able to um, lift it off the ground. He says it quietly lifted off the ground, and he says it produced a little bit of corona discharge from the bottom. And corona discharge is just like a bluish discharge that uh, comes from uh, something like that. So uh, what he says is it uh, quietly lifted off the ground and hovered silently, as he would put it. He says it moved to the left and to the right and sat back down. And it was during the demonstration, he says, he saw the guy talking to the other guy through a regular radio. Bob claims it shouldn't be possible for them to communicate from inside the craft, but they were. He says the frequency bends around the craft. He says there is a heart-shaped gravitational distortion around the craft. He says if you walk underneath the craft, you actually cannot see the craft. The light bends around the craft. He says the craft bends light, it bends radio waves, yet it is possible for someone to communicate with someone else inside the craft. He also claims they retrieved one of these crafts from an archaeological dig. That's pretty wild. Bob claims vigorously how crucial it is to understand how you cannot penetrate a field that way. And that that's something that really blows my mind. That's kind of where I'm at with it is like, if you can uh, make a field that you can't penetrate with gravity, like you could have a force field that blocks a nuclear bomb. I mean, so uh, what he says is like science fiction turns into science fact. If you have real force fields around aircrafts and battleships, then you win. You could put force fields on cars and no longer have car accidents. You could protect entire cities. You could force your will upon anyone. So the next part of this theory is the most complex. And this part of the theory uh, is grounded in less evidence, but still theoretically related to everything else. This section of the theory ties into the concept of gray aliens, the biblical great deception and God. So what are gray aliens, you might ask? Gray aliens, also referred to as Zeta Reticulans, Roswell Greys, or the Greys, are, and they are extraterrestrial beings. They are frequent subjects of close encounters and alien abduction claims across the U.S. Um, they, the details of such claims vary, but Greys are described as being human-like, with small bodies and with smooth gray-colored skin, enlarged hairless heads, and large black eyes. The association between gray aliens and Zeta Reticuli originated with the interpretation of the map drawn by Betty Hill. That is the basics of their description, but there are vast far-out claims in relation to gray alien life, such as their quest for creating human-alien hybrids. There are many different kinds of aliens people claim to see and experience, but many claim specifically that greys are like the most common, at least in the, in the United States. Um, and some of these experiences can be frightening, according to people. Um, some say they take them aboard the ship and impregnate the women upon the ship and actually show them the hybrid child. Some claim they show them the destruction of the earth upon their ship. 
Some claim that they talk about TV shows with them and enjoy their presence. Some even go as far as to say that they are evolved humans seeking to retrieve their lost human sense of self. Some claim they enter their home and experience, the experience is very scary. Here's where we get into, like, are they our friends, our enemies, or are they our masters? Do they seek to rule us, destroy us, or are they our salvation? Maybe they know who we are already and have been here for a long time. Maybe they have heard our cries for help and they will answer. I don't want to put too much religious bias into what I'm about to say, so I remain I will remain more still um, on this next concept. But it does kind of tie into uh, the rest of it. So, in the Bible, it states that there will be some sort of great deception to deceive mankind. And this deception will have various phases. They're supposed to be. They're supposed to. Uh, they're supposed to take place. These phases um, before the second coming of God. So we are not supposed to be, you know, saved until this happens. So there are various knockoff comedies about what is supposed to happen in the end of times. But the biblical end of times, in my opinion, is you know. When you think about uh, apocalypses and stuff and what they could be, it's like I personally think, according like the biblical end of times, if that is accurate, then that is definitely worse than a, a nuclear apocalypse. But that is just my opinion on that. Um, the Bible says that there is supposed to be an antichrist, and some confuse the antichrist with being something that looks like a demonic monster. But the biblical definition of the Antichrist is actually a person, and he is known as the man of lawlessness. He has very various uh, characteristics, such as being charismatic. Um, he will demand worship and claim to be God, yet he is the man doomed to destruction. He will blaspheme, blaspheme God. I'm not honestly really sure how to say that word. Uh, it's just really hard for me to say that, but that's part of it. It's like bas- it basically means that he will uh, mock God, I think. So he will also display miracles in order to deceive man. I like to think of these miracles as something like he waves his hand and a field of rubble and fallen buildings suddenly turns into um, a field of flowers. So... Because he is supposed to uh, is able to have these miraculous powers, he's also uh, it says that he will cause fire to come down from he- the heavens in a full 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 view of the people, and uh, he's supposed to have the devil in his ear. He will also rule in full authority and control the world's economy. He will put he will force people, both great and small, rich and poor, free and slave to receive a mark on their foreheads so that they could not buy, sell, or participate in the economy without it. This is also known as the mark of the beast. Now, that, that's super outlandish, like, I mean, but so is the rest of it. There is supposed to be false prophets as well, and these are followers of him who are referenced as wolves in sheep's clothing. And my mental description personally about this is like, that I've kind of like, if I was to come up with an image of them in my own head, 
I kind of think of them as um, they may look like actual people with sheep's hides on and hoods to cover their face and their sin with a grin of deception. He, he will cause earth's armies to fight against God. Uh, the Antichrist, uh, his final destination is the lake of fire with Satan and his demons. But here's the catch. He will also bring temporary peace to all of the nations of the world and unite them for an earthly peace through the art of deception. That is key. Now, God has angels and Jesus, right? So if the Antichrist and the devil, along with the section of humanity, section of humankind, humanity, that follows them into rebellion in an attempt to fight God, you know, that's just like a losing battle. Um, It sounds like they wouldn't make it, you know, they wouldn't even stand a remote chance. Like, what do humans, what can humans do against angels? So, um... It doesn't make any sense. You know, they're just going to lose that fight. So wouldn't the devil want something more powerful on his side? We assume that the devil has no influence on life. But God hasn't actually put him in hell yet. So wouldn't he be scheming for the big battle now? Wouldn't he say want help from aliens who, unlike demons, exist in this realm of life? This is the thing. Aliens can give us a heaven or at least an earthly heaven, assuming that they have these kind of capabilities. You know, it's like, what if they solve world hunger and humans don't need to starve anymore? What if they give us a way to never go to war again? What if in their society there is no such thing as debating or having a monetary system? What if they have time travel? I mean, if what Bob Lazar is saying is true, then they can propel gravity. And if they can do that, then time travel could be possible because gravity affects time, space-time, and all of that. The point is aliens could potentially give us a perfect world or a life like heaven without letting us even figure out what lies in death, maybe even through the use of just technology. It probably only takes one of these crafts to destroy Earth, considering the capabilities we have seen. It would take a ton of human airplanes to do that. Now, let's just say they were to come down here and do that and give us a perfect world. They give us a solution to every single problem, you know, that we have. Is the deceptive threat of taking away these things that gave us a perfect world a reason enough to go to war against God? Do we say to our wives that, you know, they have to go back to a life where they potentially have to endure starvation again? Because some sweaty hippie with a beard one day magically comes out of nowhere or, you know, supposed to magically come out of nowhere, but we don't really know if he's going to come out of nowhere and do this, um, says so. You know, it tells us we have to. Do, do we sit here and let him do that? Or do we try to fight for the perfect world we've already created? I think we would fight and die for such a utopia. Odds are these aliens have been here and have been working with humans for a long time. And our world is, you know, still in a state where nothing has changed. We still kill each other all day. 
You know, people die every day because people are killing other people. And that might not even just be war. It, it happens every day. So we're still in this uh, warring, uh, battling stage. And it's like, what if they want us to thrive this way? What if they want us to suffer? And what if uh, they keep us this way for a reason? Why is it since forever that some have more than others? Why are some people in control of others? And that is the way the world works. I mean, if you think the president is the man who runs the country, you're mistaken. There must be some kind of shadow government. Some men run other men, and it's been that way since the Stone Age. What if there is a subsection of people that have been working with gray aliens, for example, since the beginning of time, and we just don't know who these people are, and it would definitely make sense that we wouldn't know who these people are. I mean, if gray aliens approached you and offered you a space spacecraft, for example, that propels gravity and was like, you need to keep this a secret or we will destroy you, and so on, would you keep it a secret and create a shadow society where it's kept and become the most powerful people in the world? Not everyone is like that, but most people are, and most people are weak to temptation. And uh, I don't even mean you know temptation in the biblical sense. I just mean in general, you know. And what's more tempting than all of our wants being met? The best way to deceive and control people is to give them what they want, and an offer that is too tempting to refuse. So why can't aliens be a sure plot of the biblical great deception? The entire world would follow anyone who cures starvation. I mean, I would. And fight a war for them. Who is to say that the aliens don't run us already? Just like we are, just like we have cats and dogs, you know, whose life is more important when it comes down to it? My cat or my brother, for example? It's obviously my brother. His life is way more important than the cat, in my opinion. And I don't have a dog, but if I did, I'd, you know, call its name, right? And the dog would do as it's told and come running. So, how is the Antichrist and the devil supposed to do all this deception from a realm that doesn't exist on earth that we cannot communicate with? They need something in this realm to deceive us. Just look at what humans do for money. I mean, the answer is pretty much anything for a billion dollars. And that's just money. Money doesn't even compare against a solution to world hunger. So why can't these little short three feet tall Zeta Reticulans not be a sure plot of the great deception? Aliens defy God, or the concept of them, and the Bible, as there is no mention of them at all. It's literally the perfect plan. Roswell links up with Zeta Reticuli. The Betty and Barney Hill abduction links up with Zeta Reticuli. The Bob story re really reinforces both of those stories because it it's also links up with Zeta, the Zeta Reticuli binary star system. So what makes the most sense is that we could be dealing with tiny little gray gray guys, you know, from a star system uh, that we haven't been to, and you know, they may or may not be deceiving us. Who knows? Alright, so now we're going to bring on our guest, 
Vinny, who happens to be uh, one of my good friends here. Vinny, you want to <laughs> you introduce yourself? Hello, my name's Vincent. I'm the guest. Okay, and uh, we are going to be talking about uh, and elaborating on uh, different things in regards to extraterrestrial life. So, Vinny, uh, what do you uh, think about aliens, man? Do you think that they exist, um, and why? Oh, that's a very, very broad question, so I'm going to start in little bits here. But um, I do think aliens exist. We just um, may not have the means to see them with our own eyes. But uh, in the near future, I think we'll be able to with our technology. Um, there's been many, like, uh, many times people have spotted them in the sky, and a lot of people don't believe if that's true or not. However, I believe that's true because I've spotted them. So I can say that. I can say that I've seen them and... Uh, that you just can't see something once once it's right in front of you. That's right. But, um, yeah, I, I do believe they exist. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about your spotting? Then? My spotting, it actually happened recently. Um, I have a video that I'm not going to show, but I I have a video. Fully so aware it's this, proof yeah. reminds me that <laughs> it was there and not just me going insane. Right. But um, I was it was in the middle of the night, and there were some clouds in the sky, but the uh, the... The, the splotch of sky that I was looking at was was very clear, and um, what I thought was I thought it was a, a satellite, but it was moving around in like a zigzag circular motion. Yeah, that's very a abrupt, very weird. But satellites don't do that; they only move in one direction because the Earth is spinning and they're moving in the opposite direction that the Earth is spinning. So the thing that I saw was moving in circles and it scared me. All I did was just sit there with my camera just looking up at it for like 20 minutes. And um, it was very bright, it was shiny, and it was changing colors. So originally it was orange and I was like, that could be the sun reflecting off of a satellite panel. But um, it was moving around and so I was telling myself that and it, it changed to purple. And what I thought when it changed to purple was maybe there's some sort of, you know how the uh, Aurora Borealis, they had changed colors. Maybe that's the light reflecting off of the satellite. So this is myself telling me, well, this definitely isn't a spaceship because <laughs> yeah. I don't want to believe it, but it was. So it was close enough to where I could see it was a spherical kind of thing. It didn't look like it was from Earth. So scared the crap probably, out of me. Probably wasn't from Earth. Um, okay, what do you think... Uh, alien first contact would be like do you think that we would suffer like an alien ground assault or do you think it would be non-destructive non-threatening i think you it really depends on how developed the quote-unquote aliens are that's what we call them they're probably known as something else to them but um it see we tend to think that um, everything has abilities of what humans have the ability to do but these aliens they could be small they could be the size of rats they could be the size of buses. Their world could be 20 times bigger than ours. So first contact really depends on like a lot of variables. Personally, I think that we won't experience it on Earth because um, we're not developed. We haven't really gone out of our planet too much. We've only really gone to the moon and sent satellites to Mars um, and I'm sure other planets. But once we get to the point where we're able to encompass our whole solar system with our technology, if our planet survives that long, then, true. Um, yeah. and if we have the means to make that technology happen, um, 
then I think that we'd have a better chance of establishing first contact. And I don't think there would be violence, or maybe there will be two species that have no nothing about know nothing about each other. One provokes the other. One looks at the other and sees it as food, or sees it as yeah. a, as a threat. They might attack us, or they might just live by us. I don't know. That's it blows my mind. Away. Yeah, it blows your mind. It's, it's almost too much to think about yeah. because it seems like it's it couldn't happen, but it will happen. It's, All right. Yeah. So uh, what do you think about the objects in the sky and the government talking I about think, admitting that and all of that? Well, it's it's a step forward more than a step back because I the agree. government is actually Transparency, admitting. Transparency, you know. Yeah, it's so, somewhat transparent. They're yeah, not telling us everything about it. Of course not. They definitely know more about it than we do. But they're telling us about it, so that's a step forward. Um, obviously, all you get to see is videos. You're not going to look up in the sky and see one flying by. But um, but it's it is like proof. It's it's a it's a fact that they were there, and the government didn't put them there. Okay. So, why do you think? Uh, you know, why haven't we been exploring space? You know, I yeah. think like it involves. Um, like recently, you know. Recently, or uh, like within the last ten years, or just uh, why haven't we like gone like been doing you know moon missions or whatever? Like, moon missions. I'm not too. Sh- I'm not too sure why we. I wondered that too because there's still a half. There's a there's half the moon that is undiscovered, and if we want to even colonize a planet like like Mars in the future, then we have to colonize a planet that we're familiar with that's outside of our our planet, outside of our atmosphere, is under. Not the same conditions, because atmospheres are different. The moon really doesn't have much of an atmosphere. So if we want to safely practice colonizing a planet, I think the moon's the best step, the next step. So Elon Musk is talking about going and colonizing Mars, but he hasn't even colonized the moon yet. And there's no threats that we know of on the moon so far. Mars, there could be all sorts of things there that are there to take us to... to, um, Stop settlement, right, you know. Man, like, absolutely it basically. Right. Yeah. Chemicals, uh, sand, like storms, chemical storms. You don't know anything about yeah. the moon. Does it have those? No, it does not. Do you think Musk can uh, achieve what he wants to achieve in this in his lifetime? No, I don't think. I think he could. I think his legacy will live on. But I don't think that in his lifetime he he will he will set up the mission to colonize colonize Mars, but I think he'll, too, he'll be too old by that time to actually go to Mars. Yeah. That's um, kind of sad, all his dreams. He doesn't get it to is. experience. It is. His dream is, well, his dreams probably will come true, though. He's got the money, and you need the money to buy the expensive fuel to get to the place where you want to you colonize. So. That's very true. Do you think there's multiple, uh, if there's aliens, you know, would there be multiple species of aliens? Or would there be just Think like about it one? as like Earth. If something from another planet that happened to be under the living conditions where the, the sun wasn't burning the surface of their planet or it wasn't frozen, they come somehow, they have technology and they come to our planet and they're wondering the same thing. How many species am I going to run into? Maybe they're not wondering it in English, they're wondering it in their own alien language. But... Our wandering may not even be the word because it may not even have a brain. See, it's the things you got to think about. What if aliens didn't have emotions? Well, emotions like are, us, are yeah. only like a, emo, emotions are like so, something felt if you have a brain. If they don't have a brain, then they may not, they may not have emotions. Um, but if they were to come to our planet and only expect it to meet one species, that would be 
I mean, they can just look at our planet and know that there's more than one species on there if they're intelligent. All right, and this is our my last uh, my last question for you is, uh, what do you think society, like earthly society, would be like if we were to be able to propel gravity? If we were able to uh, create gravity distortions around things, you know what I if what I mean by that is like you're talking about the uh, the Area Fifty One generator. Yeah, yeah, but I'm also like I'm not really talking about like Bob Lazar necessarily, but just if we were to ha- able to have that technology, do you think that uh, that would be a good thing, or do you think it would be a bad thing? And I mean, the, like if we could put, say, technology that puts a gravity field around New York City, do you think that's a good thing that you know protect the city, or do you think it could lead to other things that might be bad? Um, I'm gonna argue both sides. So it would be a good thing in that it would be a plus for technology. It would, in, it would increase the safety, let's say, of New York City or any other place you'd want to protect. Um, that's it for the good part. The bad part is that everybody would want that. People would probably steal, do terrible things just to get that. That's like a nuke. You have your hands on a nuke, you have power. Sort of you have something that yeah. can, can protect the whole city, yeah. then that's, you have power. So that would be kind of a struggle. There'd be a power struggle for years, probably hundreds of years, if that thing existed and it got in the hands of the wrong person. Because humans seek power above a lot of things. But if there was enough, like, supply of those things to where, like, most, like, countries or cities could have one and there wouldn't be, and they had protection for it and they knew the risks for it and and all of it, basically the risks are eliminated. Because, like, it's like if you have that, you win. Yeah, it's protect. Of, if you have protection, I mean, that would that would kind of divide our world because right. people would want that, but they wouldn't be able to what get it. What if one country has it, but the rest of them don't? Yeah, it'd be like a dictatorship. It'd be like the uh, the um, the lower class and the high class, yeah. like a massive gap because there's like a, a force field. Right. So it would be like um, new civilizations within that force field, and. Other ones would just be left kind of like the, the, the uh, ancient times, old ages. They'd be struggling with our current technology, knowing that there's better technology. So it would probably create wars. But that's a little, I little see far-fetched. I fully agree. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. So uh, just thank you, Vinny, for coming on the podcast I'm, I'm, and everything. I'm glad to be able to talk. Taking, taking time out of your day to do this with me. Um, I'm your host, Ben. Benjamin Cronin, and this is the All Things Extraterrestrial Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time.